Hi, my name is Nicole Faye Golden, and I'm the host of Scar Stories Podcast. We all walk through seasons of brokenness, and it's so easy to buy into the lies that we're alone, forgotten, weak, and too far gone. But here's what I want you to know. We all have scars, and so we all have stories. I'm really hoping these interviews resonate with you and that you walk away knowing that you aren't alone, you're never forgotten, you are strong enough, and there are always second chances. Thanks so much for tuning in, and welcome to Scar Stories. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Scar Stories. My name is Nicole Golden. I'm your host, and we have a very special guest today. I'm so excited. This is Pastor Judd Wilhite from Las Vegas, and when he first signed on, I was telling him, I know, it's weird to say I know his wife more than him because I've never met your wife, but just I've been following your wife for probably 10 years now, Um, and if you guys listened to my conversation with Brandy Wilson several months ago, Lori is one of Brandy's, probably is Brandy's best friend um, from what I can see, and this is Lori's husband, Judd. Do you get ever introduced as that, Judd? Yeah, I like it. I receive it. Yes, this is great. I feel like I already have maybe more credibility than I deserve right out of the gate, you know? I love it. I love it. I love it. So um, I am so excited to have Judd here. Like I said, he's the lead pastor of Central Online in Las Vegas. And you guys have extension campuses all over, don't you? Yes, we've got uh, about a dozen campuses um, around the country, yeah. And y'all do some pretty, I just want to stop on this for a second, because if you guys have never checked out Central Online, y'all need to, y'all do some pretty wild stuff. I mean, it's Vegas. Do you feel the pressure to have to like do some wild stuff because y'all are in Vegas? Or is it like, we just want to do wild stuff because we like doing wild stuff? Uh, You know, it's so funny. Uh, um, It's interesting. I feel like in Vegas, I I feel uh, like appropriate pressure to be authentic. Okay. I I think it's actually like the opposite. Now we do some wild stuff, but for us, what looks wild, like isn't wild, you know, yeah. when, when your church is <clears throat> filled with people that, you know, work at Cirque du Soleil and all these places, like you have insane talent everywhere. Like these yeah. are just volunteers that jump in and, and do stuff. And and we're usually trying to pull that stuff back okay, and, and just try to keep it real. Um, you know, when I, one of the best comments I ever received is just somebody who says like, this is the only real hour in my week. Wow. Wow. And, you know, so that's, that's what we're really there for. We put some of the spin on it, you know, some of the entertainment kind of crazy factor is there, yeah. but I think what we're really trying to do is get to conversations like we're about to have that are, that are real and authentic Yeah. because you know, that, that sticks in a city that's built on sort of yep. entertainment and fun and maybe in some ways, you know, the lie. Yeah. But how awesome that you guys are able to create a wow experience, but create it in such a way that there is authenticity. I think that's a lost art, especially in churches, because so many churches lean just more towards the wow experience and don't bring the authenticity. And so I, I just, I love what you guys are doing. Like I said, my husband and I've been following you guys for years. Um, and so big fan. All right, we're going to jump right in. Um, and I sent, um, Judd, a lot of these questions, I know the surface answer to some of these. So I'm like so excited to kind of dive in and hear like the real side. So one of the reasons why I wanted to get Judd on here was because um, I wanted to make sure we had a good male influence on the podcast. I'm a woman. So sometimes I lean all towards women. I'm like, we got to get some male voices on here. And one of the things that I've been curious about for years is you and Lori will both post when you, you'll post your sobriety coins 
Um, you'll talk about going to different recovery groups. I think your main one is celebrate recovery. Am I right on that? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Um, and so, and I think you just hit what, what year are you? Are you 2025 years? Oh gosh, no, I'm i uh, I'm like 34 30. coming up on 34. Dang, I love it. Okay. 34. So I'm behind. How can All I right. even be that old? I know. <laughs> I mean, I've, I cleaned up when I was three. Yeah. You should have you should have just been like, yes, 2025, Nicole. That yeah, that's is exactly perfect. It. That's where I'm going now. Okay. That's I mean 20 to 25-ish. If you add the ish, you're not lying. Yeah, there you um, go. So tell us a little bit about your story because I don't know any of the details. I don't know what you're sober from. I, I just know that you share it. We're gonna get to why you share it in a little bit, but tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, so I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, uh, you know, mid-sized to smaller Texas town and just kind of got caught up in uh, running around with a bunch of kids that were older than me, like a lot of us, you know, at, gosh, yep. I don't know, 12, 13 years old. And yeah, I started using, I started using drugs first at parties around 12 and, you know, by 13, I was shooting up meth and, you know, doing the whole deal and, um just one thing led to another, uh, by 17, I kind of came to the end of myself and just sort of, I came out of an overdose experience and, mm. and realized like, okay, I'm either going to die or I'm going to go to jail. Mm. Or I'm going to get clean. It's the, it's, it's what we all know in recovery, right? It's, it's yeah. the, you, you can see where the road's going to end. It's only one of a few places you're going to die. You're going to jail. You're going to lose your mind. Yeah, um, you're gonna get clean. You know, you only have four options. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, like, yeah. You're like, and um, so I walked into a church at 17 uh, for the first time on my own terms. Hmm. Um, it was the church that my parents took me to growing up. You know, in Texas and kind of that environment. The church was just part of the culture, part of life. But that was the first time I walked in. Yeah, for myself. Hmm. And. Uh, wasn't fully, wasn't really sure I believed in the whole like Jesus thing and all of that, but I knew I needed help and I couldn't do it alone and made my way to a little group of people that they didn't understand anything about recovery. They hadn't been there. They didn't have any framework, but, and I didn't even tell them all the stuff that I was struggling with, but they just, they walked with me. They encouraged me. I met with them several times a week. Some of them became friends that I would talk to on a daily basis or a regular basis. And, um, yeah, I always say uh, the church really saved my life. Mm. And so mm. I think for me, you know, I became a pastor because it's really just a microcosm of that story. You know, yeah. like God rescued my life through those people in the church. And really all I wanted to do the rest of my life, all these years since is help other people find that mm. same rescue in their life. So, yeah. Did your parents know, like that was a young age to start getting, you know, involved with well, all that. Yeah, Did they so have my- any idea? I was the fourth kid and my parents were, um, (laughs) yes. I mean, I really, um, they were amazing parents, uh, kind, loving, stable, but I do kind of feel like after your, after your fourth kid, I, I, I semi raised myself as I got older. Like I remember when I was 12, my dad's like, well, you're an adult now. And I'm just like, well, now I look at my kid, you know, I, we shelter our kids, right? I have a son yeah, who's like yeah. 17 and I'm like, yeah, you're not even close, bro. Yeah. You know, so it's funny. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think they knew some things. I think they choose to not know some things. And then I also think they were in that phase of just sort of hands off, getting mm-hmm. older and just kind of, you know, didn't know, really know what to do with me. Yeah. And so, I mean, what, I mean, you had have been pretty desperate to go back like to walk into the church your parents were a part of was that 
but you said they didn't really know what was going on. So it wouldn't have been as humiliating as if everybody knew what was happening and while you, while you were there. Yeah, no, they, I, I mean, you know, like my parents to their, they both passed on now, but to their mm -hmm. dying day would, they would hear me give my testimony at, at that church later. Like I, I shared okay. the story, the whole story with the whole church multiple times over the years, because I became a pastor there years later. Really? And, uh, okay. So I that's pastored cool. my home church with my parents. Uh, I was on the staff for six years and, um, and they would always say, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad. We don't, we don't remember it being that bad. You know, they, they would just deny yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and then now being in Vegas all these years, I, I realized like I, there, you know, there's just different bottoms for everybody, like mm. uh, different kind of bottom levels and definitely being in a mid-sized sort of Texas town. I, I, there's, I did not get in the kind of trouble I could have gotten into mm. had I been in a city or in Vegas or somewhere like that. I yeah, mean, it was, yeah. It was, my addiction was daily and it was all consuming. And in that yeah. sense, I was addicted Yeah. Uh, to anything and everything. That I could get my hands on or steal, yeah. bribe, scratch for all of that. But yeah. it, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, I realized it was almost a little bit sheltered by the city and the environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And what about the, some of the friends that you were doing the drugs with? Did any of them decide to get clean? Like after your, you know, you said you had like an yeah. overdose experience, like did that yeah. wake any of them up? They, they all, but one ended up in jail. Okay. Um, so uh, one moved away and uh, he's uh, he was always that friend that we all had that could kind of do all this stuff and then not do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. Like, like, I don't understand these people, man. They're from <laughs> Mars or something. They have this thing called self-control. Where does yeah. this come from? What is this? You know, like, but he could always just like turn it off. And I'm like, I once I'm going, I have no off switch, you know? Like, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's interesting. Like, were you... Because I think sometimes when people think of, you know, I'd share with you ahead of time, my brother had an opioid addiction. And I think a lot of his um, drug use was, well, he had gotten shingles and doctors had written him prescriptions and he had a relapse and then he just kept getting the prescription written. And so initially the addiction started just because it was normal medication, but then he just realized how it made him feel. And I think he struggled a lot with anger, anxiety, depression. And so I think a lot of the drug use was to numb that. So were you attempting to numb anything or was it just like what you said, your small town, you know, friends that were older than you just intrigued by it. You know, I think, so, I, I think there's like some myths yeah. about why we get addicted to drugs. And sometimes it might just be, we're just bored and there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Well, I think part, that's part of my answer, but I also think from an early on from, you know, I, I majored in philosophy in graduate school later. I think as a kid, I was asking big questions that nobody mm. asked and, you know, mm. like, just questions, especially that don't live on the surface of American pop culture. You know, yeah. I'm like, why, why are we here? What's the point? Yeah. You know, I, and I can remember sitting, you know, laying in my bed as a, as a young, young kid being like, if, if this is it, then, you know, mm -hmm. why should I be good? What, what, what's the point of being moral? Why should yeah. I, like, I had all yeah. these crazy questions, right? As a kid. <laughs> and I think I was just trying to figure out like, what's the point of my life? What is the purpose? If there's, if there's no purpose and there no, there's no point, well, then let's just have fun, you know, yeah. let's, let's party like it's 1999. Why, yeah. why not? You know, like this was, this was my mentality. And, yeah. and I also think I was influenced by older kids. You know, I, I yeah. was, um, I was drawn to older kids. I, 
it was so cool to be able to like sneak out of my house at 13 years old and climb into, uh, you know, some friends that were in high school and they had a Trans Am, yeah. you know, and like, I'm like, I am so cool right now, you know, like living this, the life. Yeah. Living the life. So it was just all of that yeah. mixed together. But, but I, I did learn and that's, you know, I look back, I have, I have an addictive personality mm. not in a lot of ways over, over the years. And so, you know, once I latch onto something, I really go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And uh, even with hobbies, I, I have a couple of hobbies, things that I like to do, but, but uh, you know, I'm all in, you know, when yeah. I'm in, I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah. So the greatest strength is your greatest weakness situation. So yeah. you at 17, you stumble in a church, people start walking with you. So what, what happens next? You go to seminary, you go into rehab, like what are your next steps then? Yeah, I never went to rehab. Um, I uh, I was driving a little red Fiero down the freeway, a little two-door red Fiero on my way to high school. I was about to flunk out of high school, but I was still still sort of in it. And I just took all my drugs and um, threw them out the car window, driving mm. down the freeway. Mm. And, you know, somehow, by the grace of God, uh, never looked back. I remember it being just brutally, brutally, brutally hard. And... Um, for a long, long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it was a long time ago, but I just remember every day felt like a war. And, you know, there are certain drugs that we can latch onto and substances that, that have, you know, longer term physical addiction aspects. Yeah. My, my, my thing wasn't really alcohol. It was more meth, which I think is a little more psychological cocaine same story yeah um pot you know you can people argue now you know where yeah. that even fits on the spectrum right but You're right, right. Day, that was my thing and all, all, all of that stuff so it, it was really a mental war for mm. me you know like to my body wasn't going into any kind of physical withdrawal symptoms or anything like that like yeah yeah i didn't need to detox in that sense yeah but yeah i just remember it being a, a, a daily a daily war and a daily struggle. And, and it was very lonely because all of my friends, and I think this is typical of a lot of us, you know, all of my friends, that friendship was all about using. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I was in many ways, it was bizarre. My parents would say later, even though I was a teenager, that they would say, and when I first kind of got cleaned up, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. That was okay. the other weird thing. Like, I just was like, I'm doing this or I'm yeah. going to die. Like those yeah. are my choices, you know, yeah. not kill myself, die. Just like I'm going to overdose and die. So I have to do, you know, but I'm not going to talk about it. Cause I felt like all my friends had talked about it to everybody. And then they would go right back to using it again. I'm like, and I had done some of that in the past too. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to talk this time. I'm just going to try to do it one day yeah. at a time. You know what I mean? And yep. I feel like those recovery principles served me of like, just today, I'm just mm. one day at a time today. Mm you know, and, and I'm just going to fight the war today. And I leaned into some friends, but I didn't like find my way to an AA group or an NA group or, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any of that stuff. Right. I was yeah, just yeah. a stupid kid, you know, trying to just trying to survive. And yeah. um, all my friends, I felt like were still using. And in the past, if I had tried to get clean and I hung around with them, I would always go right back into okay. the whole thing, you know? Yeah. So um, I kind of made a, a break from yep. them. Yep. And, and then uh, yeah. when you, you, did you gr end up graduating high school? I did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It was a, it was a cool moment, man. I squeak, I squeaked by my uh, assistant principal 
walked past me on graduation day. I was just sitting there alone in my little cap and gown. I was a nerd. And I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a cool kid. Yeah. And, and she, she looked at me and she said, uh, she said, Mr. Wilhite, and the most sarcastic edge in her voice, she goes, I never thought I'd see this day. And she walked off. Uh, I'll never forget that. I'm like, you know, that she hated me this whole time. I knew it, you know. <laughs> well, and you're probably too like, you and me both, lady. I, you and me both. I know. Um, I, know, I, know. I got to go back and speak at that high school. Really? Like, decades later that I graduated from. And uh, she was, she was there? still there still there and you like might drop and walk off the stage uh, i want to go like you right there you were horrible to me yeah, no. <laughs> you never believed in me so okay so then you graduate high school what's next college seminary what do we do next well i moved to albuquerque new mexico and i played in a rock band and okay I did that for a while uh for about uh nine months were you not around the- drugs in the rock band uh uh-uh. it was like a christian faith-based okay. thing it was okay in my okay. senior year i'd gone to a church camp and i met all these kids and they lived in albuquerque and they were in this band and back in the day for christian people there were bands like striper and yes. you know all of this and so yes, we, were, yes. we, we did so we did that man it was it was not it was not good as far as uh musically i uh, love that okay and then after yeah, the rock anyway, band what did we do so after the rock band i ended up i, I came back home i went to uh Went to college in Dallas and that okay. was great. And then uh, uh, ended up, uh, re- you know, really hoping and desiring that I would be able to go down the road of ministry. So I majored in, you know, religion and then went to seminary in Illinois, okay. which is more like the graduate school, you know, yep. that you go to if you, if, if ministry is kind of your pathway. And I did that for a little while and then moved back to Amarillo, my, my hometown and and got on staff at my home church. And that's where I met Lori because that's the church she grew up in. Okay, that's so cool. So in the process of all this, as you're pursuing you know, ministry and are you sharing your story at this point? Is it a source of shame for you? Is it yeah. a source of like drive? Like what, what happens with your story as you're pursuing all this? I would say in the, in the earlier years, um, it was more of a source of shame than anything. Mm. And I just buried it. Yeah. I don't know what you, you, you know, as you talk to so many people wrestling with or coming out of different things. And, and I know for me, it was a long time ago, but it, it you know, I, I really just buried it. And yeah. it was a traumatic thing that I didn't want to remember. I was afraid people would judge me. Yep. You know, I, and, um, yep. But I, you know, I would say by the end of, so, I would say what by the time I was maybe around eight to 10 years clean, seven to 10 years clean, somewhere in there, I just started to tell that story a hmm. lot more. Hmm. And um, part of my dynamic was I was home. I was among all these people that I had known my whole life. Some of them knew a little bit. Yeah. Some of them didn't know fully. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, yeah, but I, I got more comfortable letting that story be a testimony to God's grace. Yeah. Stopped worrying so much. You know, my primal question, I don't know, you know, like the question underneath all the questions in my life. Yeah. uh, My buddy, Mike Foster has this great, great paradigm framework. He says, um, you know, everybody has like a primal question underneath our lives that drives so much of our decisions. Mm. So much of it comes from trauma in childhood or brokenness in our life. 
And so mine, mine coming out of addiction and a lot of us coming out of addiction, I think is, is simply, am I worthy? Wow. You know, am, am I worthy? And so my whole, the quest of my life for decades has been to prove to, I don't know who <laughs> really, yeah. you know, like yeah, that I am worthy of mm. love. I am worthy of acceptance. I am worthy of, of all these things that as a person of faith, I realize God actually gives me freely and I already have yeah. Yeah. But that question drives so much of it. So in my early years in recovery, it was all about achievement, you know, mm. it was all about uh, doing, checking all the boxes that I felt like would have, would show my parents, you know, that I was not a failure, would, yeah. would show people around me. I always felt like I should never have been a pastor. I still kind of have this, hmm. this thing in me, like, how did I get here? You know, yeah, why am yeah. I the one doing this? You know, yeah. I'm a, I'm a goob. How am I, how am I doing this? You know, like it's my whole life. And, you know, so, so much of that, I tried to bury early on before, and then it was a process of getting more open and more transparent, realizing that, that I always say to my wife, Lori, you know, uh, authenticity is, is our superpower. Mm, you know? And, yep. and as, you, as you get more real, yep. your influence actually grows. You yep. Know? yep. No, that's a hundred percent. I, it's funny, this, this question, am I, I mean, I think that's the primal question for almost every human being, I would say, I think we all are trying to prove our worth because we, I think we all understand the depth of our brokenness. Right. And I mean, maybe some of us more than others, but it's interesting because my husband and I, when we, you know, we got married. um, Okay. This is bad. I think 11 or 12 years ago, honestly, I've lost track because these past two years, I know I've already lost the tape. I love it. That's so good. I've already lost. Hey, I need his contact. I'm going to make sure he he sees this and it lets him off the hook, right? For any time he gets it wrong. Okay. We were married in 2010. So it's been 11 years. I got it. I got it. You can't hold that against me. 2019 (laughs) to 2021 has been a black hole of craziness. So I've literally lost track, but we got married 10 years ago. Literally my mental emotional breakdown happens right afterwards. And so, um, for about, I would say six to eight years was just us trying to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How do we stay married, have a family, pastor church with, you know, I have anxiety, depression, and borderline personality disorder with these three different, you know, things going on. And so then about two years ago, uh, about three months before my brother took his life, I preached um, for the very first time at our church and shared my story from start to finish. And it was wild the visceral response or visceral, however you say that word, visceral response of people as they're walking out the doors, like almost like I gave them permission to be themselves and to actually own their brokenness. And I think, especially, you know, as you and I are talking as pastors and and people in spiritual leadership, the importance of sharing our stories and of letting people get a glimpse into our brokenness, be like, we are all broken, even us, we can relate. And I think there's some kind of power and connection and Jesus uses that in crazy ways. Yes, I, I, I write anytime I'm stuck at, on a message or I, I'm working on a talk and it doesn't feel right, you know, like yeah. it's, it's not there. Uh, I write at the top of the talk, authenticity is my mm. superpower. Mm. And mm. I go back through it at, with the filter of how can I just be honest? It doesn't have to be great. Yeah. Make it honest. Yeah. And it becomes great. 
because yep. it's honest. You know what I mean? That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the funny thing is Brian and I both found my husband, Brian and I, as we've, you know, preach. I mean, he preaches way. I preach like three or four times a year. I don't, I like it, but I don't really like it. Like, I don't like the grueling nature of it. So I'm like, name me as a teaching pastor and I'll fill in here and there. You do all the grunt work. Yeah, I you, can't. You, it's, you, it's too much. Oh my gosh. Lori and I, Lori and I just taught this weekend and, um, we actually like it when we're doing it, but we fight the whole time we're getting we're getting ready. Oh, I mean, it's always yeah, just like it's like this tug of war of like I'm trying to tell I'm trying to steer her, she's trying to steer me. It's like okay, we can't yeah. we cannot do this very often. Two years ago, we did a series relationship goals. It was a six week series, and we almost got divorced halfway through. You know, trying to teach yes. so it's great. Yes. Um. No, you get it. No, but um you know, sometimes it's, it's the times you go up and you're like, I have a perfectly polished message and you get up there and deliver it. It doesn't land. Then other times you go up there, you throw away your notes and you're just speaking from, okay, this is what Jesus put on my heart. And it's like, people respond. Cause yeah, it's authenticity. So what, so you never got a part of celebrate recovery. What, how long ago did you start in celebrate recovery then? Cause that wasn't something you initially did. So that's something you yeah. must have chosen to do years after being clean. So when, and why did you get into celebrate recovery? Yeah, so it would have been um, in California um, about 20 years ago. Okay. I was, that was the first time I was exposed to Celebrate Recovery. We okay. lived in uh, Southern California, and um, it's the first time I sort of saw what Celebrate Recovery was and did. And, and I love, you know, I love that Celebrate Recovery um, used the 12 steps because mm -hmm. there's a I don't know, a baseline, cultural baseline and an understanding in the recovery community of like what that is. Yeah. You know, so it was an easy like front door to people who had kind of been around all of that to step into it. And um, yeah, no, I just, uh, you know, I got involved and, and, and I just got moved by seeing all of the stories and, you know, I, I and I think I'm just always aware that uh, how, how much people meant to me in that season and how key like that transition season was for me mm -hmm. just um it saved my life you know yeah. so i'm yeah uh, you know so so i love it i champion it and then when we moved out to las vegas 18 years ago um it was one of the first things that i did hmm. start a celebrate recovery and, did you lead um, it no we had a staff a staff okay. member lead it okay and i actually <clears throat> i'm involved in the sense that I champion it. Yeah. And um, I'm there once or twice a year. I'll share my testimony. Yep. And Lori and I will go in and, and do it together sometimes. Um, I like to go in and for what they call chip night, you know, yep. once a month when people get their chips, I like to be there for that when I can. But they always announce it when I'm going to be there. Okay. And um, they always kind of let everybody know yeah. more from a an anonymity standpoint yeah if you don't yeah. kind of want this the pastor guy like seeing you at celebrate recovery so i don't i don't go every week we try to let people although i don't yeah. think anybody cares i, I think yeah. our, you know they've heard me so many times they're like yeah. oh man we're all just messed up you know it's it's okay yeah so they just say just like you know yeah i love that and i love that you've created an atmosphere where there's not the shame around it because i think that is specifically with addiction and i I want to ask you this. I do think we're all asking the question, am I worthy? But why do you think so much with, because I'm thinking back to my brother and I really see that as being something he struggled with his, was with his worthiness. Why do you think with addiction, there is that such a sense of worthlessness? Like what, what is it? Yeah. Is it 
Is it because you? Well, like I definitely think there's just a sense that we failed so much. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, there there is no there is no liar like an uh, an addict lying to themselves, right? Yeah. Like, how, how many times do we tell ourselves, "I'm going to get clean. This is the last time I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going." You know, like you just you, it, that's all traumatic deep yeah. down and. And while I do think that is a primal question for everybody, you know, I have a friend who went through uh, as a kid sexual abuse and like mm. his primal question is, am I safe? Mm. It's the question he asks when he balances his finances. Yeah. And he deals with conflict. He doesn't yeah. even, he's not even aware that it's underneath everything in his yeah. life. Am I safe? My wife would say she doesn't come from, um, you know, addiction in that sense. She, she would say like her kind of, it's a slight variation. Like the question underneath everything for her is always, am I enough? Or really, am I good enough? Am I a good enough wife? Am I a good enough worker? Am I a good enough employee? Am I a good enough, you yeah. know, fill in the blank. And that that sort of is the question underneath so much of what she does. So I do think they're all kind of similar, but they might have slight variations, yep. you know, based on the trauma we've been through yep. and the things we've been through. But I definitely feel like for addiction, you lie to yourself so much, you lie to others, um, I stole from everybody I could, you know, I, you, you lie so much, you can't even hardly, you know, the lie and the truth are all one big thing. Like it's all yeah. this mess. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think when you come out of that and then you realize how much you've hurt people, hmm. uh, how much you've disappointed them real or imagined, Yeah. you know, then yeah. you carry that. Yeah. And I think for me, like my parents would downplay it and I upplayed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting you said, because I remember one of the last, my brother and I had two conversations before he died. One was a really good conversation. I could tell he was clean. I could always tell when he was clean and when he was not, um, he was a, there was a totally different personality, um, depending on what he was on and using. Um, but I remember one of the, the last, one of the last major conversations we had, he had called and, he was trying to make amends, but I could tell he had been on something because he was he was very cocky in the way he was trying. It was like, hey, I'm just sorry for everything. We forgive me. And I'm like, oh, well, sure, you know, but like, no, you know, <laughs> like, like you put us through yeah. hell, you know, like I want to yeah. be forgiving, but like, come on. And so, um, but one of the things he had said was he was like, I have a journal right now that I'm keeping where I'm writing down everything I'm saying. Um, Cause he's like, I've really, I've gotten addicted to lying. He's like, I've replaced the pills with lying and I just lie all the time. I don't even know I'm lying. That's right. And, um, and I know that did weigh on him. I think sometimes the cockiness and the arrogance and the flippancy was his mask of, it wasn't bothering him, but did you carry a lot of guilt after you got clean over the lies and all those things? And how did you process and deal with that guilt after you were getting clean? Yeah, well, I, I, I carried it and I still carry it, you know, mm. like I still, mm. it's still in me all 30 something years later, wow. you know, like, yeah, it's, uh, cause I think when you crack, you know, you, you, it doesn't matter. Like you, you can heal, but the, the scar it's, it's your podcast, right? It's, yep. it's, it's scars, it's stories, but when you're really broken, you know, it, it never heals like it never happened. Yeah, you know it, it heals, but it's it's it still hurts. The scar yep. is still there, right? Yep. Um, and I think for me, I was definitely a broken person when I when I finally sobered up. Yeah. And um, 
so I so I sort of transferred everything into uh, trying to achieve and trying to make up for lost time. Yeah. When I did, when I did go to college and I was crazy, um, people 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 didn't even know what to make of me. You know, I was 19 and in college, 18 in college, whatever, and they would all go out and party. Yeah. And they'd be like, "Come on, man!" You know, like in the dorm and stuff. And I'm like, "No, man, I'm I'm going to the library." Yeah. And uh, they would look at me like, what? You know, and I didn't really tell people, but it's a whole different story. I won't go into all of it, but, I, you know, I slid into college. I, I kind of lied about the SAT, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take it. I'm going to tell, like, I never really took it. And I, I wrote my first English paper and it was two pages, no paragraphs. Oh. And I remember that the professor came over to me, like in college, right? And she's, yeah. she, she puts this paper down on my desk. And this is what she said to me. She goes, what happened to you? And I'm like, I didn't know what to say. Yeah. So I would go to the library and like, I literally read cover to cover English textbooks, you know, cause I felt like I have to teach myself how to write. Yeah. You know, I have to teach myself basic math. I had to teach myself how to type at it. You know, like I had, <laughs> I just didn't know anything. Right. Crazy. So I threw myself into all this stuff to try and catch up and make yeah. up for all those, those years. And yeah. They just came out and everything, I, you know, and so I struggled a lot of my early days in school. But after I after you make it through a year, you don't have to take the SAT. Yeah. Grades are kind of enough. Right. Yeah. Small yeah, yeah. College, you know, like not not talking about um, some Ivy League school or anything, you know, so yeah, they, yeah. they kind of left me in. Um, and I remember after that, I only got one B. Wow. And. And I remember sitting on this bench outside and weeping hmm. because I felt like I was a disappointment to my wow. dad. Wow. He didn't even care. Wow. This was yeah. all about my brokenness, trying to overcompensate from my yeah. years of addiction. And so anyway, yeah. Do you catch yourself still, you know, 30 plus years later, trying to overcompensate, prove those things? What Like, is that, because I know- you know, I've been in the ministry long enough and been around enough pastors and spiritual leaders to know that's always been a thing where it's trying to prove the numbers, the, you know, yes. the accolades, the book deals, the speaking gigs. The, yes. And and you're, you would never say this about yourself, but me, come, like you're big time, like Judd and Lori, well, you guys are, I know it's, it's fun, but you guys have had a huge influence on hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, you guys have both written books. I, you know, I've read them. I, love hearing you guys. I love seeing what you guys are doing. And so is it easy for you got, for you to kind of fall back in that way of thinking of having to make up for those years and having to continue to prove like I'm worthy, I'm worthy. Yeah. Well, I think for a long time it, it, it was, and I think it's still kind of in there in me, but I do think maybe about 10 years ago, it finally shifted for me, you know, yes. like some of that, I finally let go of some of that. And here's what's fascinating. It was really when my parents both passed away. Wow. Um, and so I don't know what to do with this in, from a peer counselor. Okay. Once my, you know, I love my parents. They're amazing, but yeah, it was almost like I had nothing left to prove. Huh? There was no one left to see what I had. Done. You know how you do something yeah. great. Even if you have a totally dysfunctional family, yeah, you want your parents to see what you did. Yes. You yes. know what I mean? You just yes. want somebody yes. to be like, yeah, you did that. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. I feel yeah. like when that was not there, it kind of changed the dynamic and it, it, in a healthy way for me. Yeah. You know, because whatever that was, they didn't put that on me. Whatever I 
kind of put on them. Yeah. That drove that. Yeah. Sort of like kind of went away. So that's wild. I mean, and that if that doesn't show you the power, like what because what you said, even if you have a completely dysfunctional family, like I we have four kids. So I get the whole exhaustion thing. And my fourth kid's raising himself too. He's two, but he's raising himself. And so I kind of like it's <laughs> it is what it is. But I'm like, dang, like the power of us as parents of our words of our interactions with our kids like dang if that doesn't dang. wake you up yeah 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 so no, that's real let's let's land we'll land here in our last few minutes together but you know you have two kids um so has there been fear that your addictive personality is gonna get past oh. them by okay Oh my gosh. Lori would say, this is the thing Lori said to me, our whole, our whole family life, our whole marriage. Yeah. She'll stop me and she'll say, Judd, you're parenting out of fear right now. Yep. Wow. My my philosophy was if I can get, and I don't don't know that I would state it this way, but this is really kind of true. Like if I could raise my kids and they would be sober, I won, Hmm. you know, like that's victory. And Lori's like, no, That's not victory. I mean, she's like, that's a fear-based parenting model that just says, I want to keep my kids out of fill in the blank because I don't want them to become like me. And so Lori would always say, we do not parent out of fear. We parent out of faith. And she totally led our family in this, including me. Yeah. Like I was, we have three, she has three kids. I'm one of them, you know, like the other two kids and me, we all sit there and be like, okay, yeah. All right. (laughs) But, you know, she was like, look, we want to help our kids discover their purpose. We want to look and discover, like, what are the gifts that God has given them? And we want to point them in that direction and yeah. and have some faith and not just live in fear. But no, I was uh, the first time my kids, you know, start listening to music with very questionable lyrics. You know, I'm freaking out. Right. We, you know, that, I don't care about that kind of, you know, that, that I love all kinds of music. But yeah. I just, everything went back to yeah. my, my years in, in, in the mess that I was. Um, yeah. So I was a little crazy. And you're Lori like, was you're always. Like, you're like DC talk and Sandy Patty only. Yes. That's <laughs> that right. is I mean, they're, they're, they're like, you know, they know all the lyrics to these <laughs> songs and they would, they come on the, uh, uh, on the radio, you know, we would listen that back then when my, when I was dropping our kids off at school and all that, you know, they would want to listen to certain so uh, radio uh, uh, programs and you yeah. know just you know all the top music and you know it's always great for me because that's how I could keep up. Yeah, yeah. Wow, holy yeah. cow! Right, oh. stuff that if it was just me in the car, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's a great song. But when your like thirteen year old daughter is singing it, you're like, yes. all right, stop the freaking car right now. We're gonna talk. You know, like yes, they have these TikTok trends right now. I love TikTok. I have fallen down the. I'm in my thirties and can't get enough of it, but, um, they have this trend now where it's like, you listen to the music you used to sing to and think we're fine back then. And now you listen to it now and you're hearing the words and you're like, what the heck was I singing? singing?" (laughs) The other thing is like the backyardigans, all the, all the soundtrack of the backyardigans, like they're playing it in our student camps. And I'm I'm driving my daughter to college in California uh, a couple of months, a few weeks ago. And, and yeah, she puts the backyardigan soundtrack on. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I raised you watching this stuff. You know, like it just trips me out. Right. So we're singing like castaways, you know, I'm like, this is a moment. I love it. I love it. How old were your kids when you told them your story? They were young. Really? really young. 
Yeah, because Why? they just grew up in the church and I talk about it a lot okay. in the church. So when we, when I came to Vegas 18 years ago as a pastor, I started talking about my story probably every two to two to four months Okay. on the platform full on um, kind of unpacking it again and again and again. It was, it was helping shape the culture of yep. the church. Yep. We're in one of the addi addiction hotspots in America. Hmm. Um, we in short order had one of the larger celebrate recoveries in the nation, mm. you know, like back then it was just blowing up. Yeah. Um, and whether it's like gambling addiction or, you mm. know, drugs and alcohol or just codependency kind of issues, a lot of brokenness, of course, a lot of uh, domestic abuse, yep. you know, all of this kind of stuff is, is really high statistically in, in Vegas. And if you talk to pretty much any pastor, religious leader in the town, Jewish, Christian, Orthodox, Catholic, they would all tell you the number one issue is drug addiction. Wow. Wow. So, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing, but you know, is that really any different nope. than your area or any, yeah. any area yeah, anymore? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, I found it in Amarillo, Texas, you know, I could get whatever I wanted. Yeah. It's so. everywhere, man. I mean, that's the thing. I, it's funny. Cause a lot of people ask us, you know, I haven't told them how, you know, their uncle Eric died. They just know he died. They know he wasn't happy. He wasn't doing well. You know, I talk about my mental illness a lot with them. Um, especially with my daughter, she's nine. She's my oldest. I've got a nine, seven, five and two year old. <laughs> we're done. Cause we're crazy. And I was like, we're done. Um, so that's it. But I, I, you know, I do think there is a, you know, I think our kids need to know stuff. I think when, as give them as much information as they can process at their age, right? You don't want to give them too much. That's why I was like, I'm waiting on the whole suicide topic. That's a lot for them yeah, to try to wrap their right. mind around right now. But they're around a lot of stuff at our church too. We we um, we call ourselves the alternative to church as usual. We're kind of the last, we're part of North Point Network. Um, we yeah. just joined with them about a year or two ago. Um, but when we started the church, we had maybe like 20, 25 people and we've grown substantially over the past several years. And um, we kind of get all the misfits, anyone, you know, we're in Florida, so it's similar to Texas, you know, everyone's a Christian, everybody goes to church, you know, all those things, but we're getting a lot of the people that have gotten kicked out of church, have left church because they had too many questions, right. you know, um, they're coming to our church for answers. And we've been known recently as the mental health church, because we talk about it so openly from the stage, just kind of like, yeah, like what a great thing, especially in this season. Yes. Yeah. And it's been overwhelming because now more and more, what we're seeing in the mental health trends is teenagers are falling apart at the seams and parents are just you know, unsure as to what to do. So we're dealing with a lot of mental health stuff with students and things like that, but just kind of letting our children see, you know, like letting them into some of the stuff as much as they can process and then shining that up against the light of the hope of grace of Jesus, yeah. I think is really cool for them to see. So, well, especially as they get old enough to remember, you know, I think yeah. that's something, something that, that it, you know, it can be discouraging, but I think everything we do like shapes our kids' lives and, and we should act like they can always remember. But the reality is somewhere around most kids, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 and down, they mm. won't be able to remember much. Yeah, specifically. yeah. You know, they have moments, but but as they start getting in those formative years that they'll be able to remember. Yeah. Um, like one of the things that we would do with our kids, uh, with our daughter is we, we took her to celebrate recovery, hmm. you know, and to like a chip night. 
Yeah, and yeah. So see the joy, see people getting these recovery chips. I love Just to like the big gathering, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Because Lori's grandfather was an alcoholic and mm. uh, AA had saved his life. He didn't really celebrate his birthday. He celebrated mm. his AA birthday. Wow. And so every year on his AA birthday, he would bring her with him okay. to the AA meeting. Yeah. And she would sit and listen to all these people in their stories, small, you know, in the, in the circle. Yeah. And they would celebrate his AA birthday, but that marked her. Like she never yeah. forgot it. She never went down the road of like drugs and alcohol. She never, because all, you know, every year she had celebrated and heard all these stories with her grandfather of like, okay, this, this can ruin your life, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, we try to do that, right. To involve them and, uh, and yeah, just get yeah. them to celebrate recovery or, 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 or AA or something, get them to a meeting to see and hear the stories of like, you know, what, uh, not only what can happen, but how beautiful redemption can be. Yeah. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes it's especially like Jesus followers who are parents, like we can focus too much, like we parenting out of the fear, look, what can happen? Look what, but I think there's something beautiful about being, no, look what Jesus does, you know, right. look what he does with our stories. So Judd, thank you so much. Like, I really appreciate your time and sharing your story. And, um, I would love it. If those of you who are listening would subscribe to scar stories podcast, you can find out where any podcast catchers are. You can watch me on YouTube, check out my website, nicolegolden.org for more resources. I'll make sure to link some of Judd's books. Um, there here shortly but thanks again Judd and I hope you, you all have a great day I appreciate it thank you so much for tuning in to Scar Stories podcast we all need places where we can feel seen be safe find connection and resources I would love to connect with you on social media at at Nicole Faye Golden I also have a website with a ton of resources and a free seven-day praying scared prayer journal at nicolegolden.org Thank you for tuning in. I'd love it if you shared this with your friends and if you left a rating and a comment. And I look forward to seeing you next time as we delve into mental health, parenting, family, and so many other issues with a lot of my friends. We'll see you soon.